0: You're listening to Reach MDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. ADD, attention deficit disorder, more and more school age, high school, and even adults and college kids are being diagnosed. Is it really more prevalent? Are we finding it because we're looking harder? Welcome to the Clinicians Roundtable. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Larry Robbins. Assistant Professor of Neurology at Rush Medical College and Director of the Robbins Headache Clinic in Northbrook, Illinois. Today we're discussing the diagnosis and treatment of ADD, Attention Deficit Disorder, in adults. Welcome to the show, Dr. Robbins.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Wonderful to have you. First of all, we talk about it a lot in children, but how prevalent is it, and how prevalent is it in adults?
1: Well, actually about 4.7% of adults have ADD, uh, it's a little bit more in kids and adolescents, and some of them do lose the features. Most don't. So we end up at about 4.7% of adults. So it really tends to be underdiagnosed, probably the most underdiagnosed of the psychological conditions, and also ADD is very comorbid with other conditions also. The uh, consequences of not diagnosing ADD are enormous, so I'm always on the lookout for it. And I think there has been a stigma against diagnosing ADD, maybe the same thing against depression. You know, some of the naysayers will say, well, it's just that we have medicines and the companies are pushing for the diagnosis of ADD or depression. But really, the the very well done studies show that almost 5% of adults do have it and it greatly impacts quality of life.
0: What is or what are the underlying etiologies? Do we have any more information on this now than we did, you know, 10 or 20 years ago?
1: definitely a genetic illness it's probably the most genetic of the uh, psychological illnesses if we see a kid with ADD I usually ask parents and very often um, we find it in parents grandparents siblings Uh, so it does tend to run in families and actually as far as treatment if the daughter say Heather comes in with ADD and the mom says she thinks she has ADD also I don't ask the mom If she's tried her daughter Heather's medicine, i say, what dose works for you? Because almost all the moms have tried the the kid's medicine. And uh, a lot of adults get diagnosed that way, actually, through their children. So the etiology, with newer scanning techniques such as PET scans and diffuser tensor imaging, DTI, we really can see quite a bit more as far as what's going on in the brain with a lot of conditions. And they found definite structural differences with people with ADD.
0: Do you think it could be diagnosed earlier than it is based on those differences? or? And how do you diagnose? Is it really testing?
1: Well, some people feel that certain tests, such as a SPECT scan, can diagnose ADD, but I, it's still a clinical diagnosis. And I think it's much easier in adults. We have a much longer history. We don't have all the adolescent hormonal changes to deal with and behavioral changes. In kids, we have to get... Parents and school teachers involved in testing, looking at it in adults. Really, many adults read about it and self-diagnose. There's this very good scale, the Adult Self-Report Scale (ASRS). That's just nine questions. That's uh, been validated. It's an easy screening test. And uh, I think that in adults, it's it's really much less of a challenge to diagnose and to treat than in kids and adolescents.
0: So you don't think it's overdiagnosed?
1: I think that. Just like everything, there are pockets where they overdiagnose it. But in general, uh, no. Most of the people that I've seen diagnosed and are on medicine for it really do have it. I think the myth is that people just say, "Well, I can't pay attention." Okay, here have some medicine. You have ADD. Or in children, uh, I think that it it still tends to be greatly underdiagnosed.
0: What's important in the history, and or if there's anything in the physical, particularly uh, in adults when they come to your office?
1: Well, adults usually lose the H part, the hyperactivity part, usually by age 20. So they just have ADD. The key is they can't just start having ADD as an adult. They have to have had an attentional problem or a variety of problems that add up to ADD as a a kid or an adolescent. So if it just starts in adulthood, we would tend to look for anxiety, depression, some medical condition, medicines that affect attention, and not... ADD itself. So one key question always is how do they do with boring projects, boring things? If people look up and roll their eyes and say, I could never do anything boring, I can't, uh, it would take me eight hours to sit there. Uh, ADD people that are more than mild just cannot do boring things. But we look for careless mistakes, uh, trouble starting projects, trouble finishing them. Uh, we do look for impulsivity. And actually, you can... With a lot of conditions, impulsivity is a key question: how they're going to do in the next 10 years. If you look at a 20-year-old with ADD or with a personality disorder or with bipolar, if they're very impulsive, it's not always a good sign as far as how they're going to do. Uh, they have ADD. People have trouble uh, finishing assignments. They tend to be irritable, uh, not uh, overly angry, and uh, like a personality disorder, but irritable, impulsive. And they have unfinished piles of materials laying around their house, a lot of piles. They tend to misplace things. They're easily distracted. Of course, they have poor attention, and they can't remember appointments. And the consequences in adulthood are great. In kids at age six, they have a lot of support. They may not do as well in school, and the consequences get more at age 12. But at age 25, people lose their family. They lose their jobs because of ADD. So... The consequences are very high. Then they have much more alcohol and drug abuse, more car accidents. Actually, at age 17 and 20, we have much more drug abuse and car accidents from untreated ADD than from kids who are treated for their ADD. So
0: this does get better with treatment, even if you're star treatment in your late teens?
1: With a lot of conditions, it's the same with ADD. If you're lucky at all with a medicine, it works very well. Outside of medicine, it's been frustrating There's been some very well-done studies outside of medicine, and I think it can help a little bit in the impulsivity, irritability, but psychotherapy has not been all that terrific for ADD, outside of helping some of the comorbid issues. And there was a very well-done NIMH study a few years ago where they spent upwards, I believe, of $30,000 per pupil all year. They had a very good social worker in with a student. It was medicine versus therapy for ADD. And the bottom line, once they stopped medicine, nothing really did that much good. It was very disappointing along the therapy line.
0: You mentioned uh, comorbid factors. Could you elaborate any on that?
1: ADD is very often comorbid with anxiety or depression or bipolar. So other psychological problems. Insomnia is very common. So often we're looking at the sleep issues. Although sometimes the ADD medicines will help the insomnia. They really calm down the brain. So we're always looking at comorbid psychological conditions particularly, and therapy can help definitely with uh, the anxiety, depression, and stress in people's lives.
0: You're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXN 233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, and I'm speaking with Dr. Larry Robbins, and we're discussing ADD, diagnosis and treatment in adulthood. Tell us, Dr. Robbins, how are adults treated?
1: Well, generally, I like to have people read about the ADD. There's some good books and magazines, ADD and Adults, and there's a number of them on Amazon. There's a magazine uh, called Attitude, ADD, Attitude, that's been really pretty good. And as far as medications, the first-line medicines are the stimulants still. So we look at the mixed amphetamines. Uh, the trade name is Adderall or Adderall XR and all of the types of methylphenidate, Ritalin. I think that we have a long track record of safety with these medicines. Methylphenidate, Ritalin, has been out since 1954, and the amphetamines even much earlier than that. And they do have long-term consequences in the brain, but I think that when we look at people who've been on them for decades, they've been relatively safe drugs when they're used appropriately. So the first-line ones, the ones that work the best, do tend to be the stimulants. And in adults, it's easier than in kids. Adults can pick and choose when they need to take these. They don't have to necessarily take them every day. We find very little abuse of these drugs in adults, unlike with adolescents, where they're passing around with their friends.
0: That was going to be my next question as you go through the treatments. For adults taking stimulants, but you also mentioned that these people often have a problem with substance abuse. So do physicians hesitate to dis- to prescribe the stimulants, or are they so effective they use them anyhow?
1: Well, I think that some physicians hesitate because of the substance abuse issues in, in people with ADD, but they're really self-medicating their attention and sometimes the anxiety, and they tend to self-medicate quite a bit less when they're on a stimulant. Overuse of Adderall or amphetamines and Ritalin is, is really relatively little uh, after the early 20s. In adolescence, it's another thing. They're passing it around. Sometimes they're giving it to their friends or selling it. And occasionally we'll find an adult who abuses them. But I think that they've, uh, in most people's experience, been not abused very much in adults. They're not that easy to get being Schedule two People get limited amounts, and they usually, they, it's not as if they can call them in themselves. We find more abuse of the Schedule three and four drugs, where people can run to a number of practitioners or call them in themselves.
0: Now, what's the second-line drugs, or suppose, what other drugs are people on besides the the stimulants?
1: Well, the ant- some of the antidepressants can help, such as bupropion, Wellbutrin. Stratera is just for ADD, and it's used primarily for ADD, and it's been marketed fairly heavily for ADD, but I don't believe that it works quite as well as the, uh, as the stimulants, but it's reasonably good, but Stratera basically looks and acts like an antidepressant. And off-label, there is Provigil which is a very good compound. Unfortunately, it was turned down by the FDA for an official indication for ADD.
0: But I understand it's still being prescribed off-label.
1: It's being prescribed quite a bit off-label. It's a relatively safe medicine. It sort of looks and acts like a stimulant, but it's not a stimulant. It doesn't really raise uh, the pulse and blood pressure. I think, think Provigil is a, a fairly safe drug and relatively little abuse of Provigil, and it can give people a little energy. It can help as a second line. doesn't work quite as well as the stimulants, but as a second line ADD medicine, but it's relatively expensive and the insurances don't usually pay. ProVigil only has three indications and they won't usually pay like $7 a pill, something like that, unless it's indicated.
0: Well, you mentioned these patients sometimes have sleep disorders. Do physicians try to get in under that loophole and prescribe ProVigil?
1: Well, it's only indicated for narcolepsy or uh, shift work disorder uh, or sleep apnea on CPAP, so they would have to have documentation. Some insurances will pay for Provigil, and it is a long-acting drug. You can take it in the morning, and it'll last 12 hours, so it's really been pretty good. Some people do well on just half a tablet of Provigil on low doses, so sometimes we, we can get it paid for. There are other uh, medicine options. There are some newer ones, but of course, I hesitate to use the absolute new medicines that just come out. came out uh, in in a lot of classes because as one professor said, let's use new medicines a lot while they're still safe. So we try to give the newer ones at least six or twelve months of use till we see the real side effect profiles.
0: Dr. Robbins, thank you so much. Thank you. You're listening to the Clinicians Roundtable on Reach MDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, and I'm speaking with Dr. Larry Robbins. We're discussing new treatments, and management of ADD in adults. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening.